This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. I want to understand the work of tomorrow. Now, April turns out to be a special month in my family. My birthday is on April 2nd. In fact, I just turned 50, which might explain the occasional gray hair on my head. Less exciting but equally impactful on the life of our household is another April day, and that is April 15, tax day. As we do in every year, full of good intentions, my wife and I started preparing for this tax season some two months ago. Now, to be honest, preparing really means creating a big pile of paper and then handing it over to the accountant who prepares our tax documents. But still, with one week to go, I start getting nervous. My worries are somebody else's profession. Companies like H&R Block alone have 10,000 retail offices and many other professionals help consumers like me and small businesses file their taxes. But how do these jobs look like? What are the top affirming firms do to get uh, customer delight and efficiency? And how is technology changing this work in the future? To answer these questions, I want to welcome two wonderful guests on my show today. In the first half, I will be speaking to Paul Doherty, a partner at Eisner Emperor, which is a leading tax accounting firm. And in the second half of the show, I will talk to Varun Krishna, vice president at Intuit, the maker of TurboTax. At this point, welcome, Paul. Thank you, Christian. Hey, Paul, is April 15 for you like Black Friday for retailers or Christmas for the Alps? <laughs> That's one way to describe it, Christian. How big is the seasonality factor? I mean, how, how much of your business, if you think about the total hours that you work or the number of client contacts, how much is happening in this kind of the four, six weeks ramping up to April 15? I would say a, a big majority of our time is spent now. Um, there's just been so much compression in the industry. Um, things are getting out later and brokerage information is coming out later and it's getting more and more compressed and squeezed into a shorter time period. And how do you guys react to that? I mean, do you have flexibility in staff where you have like retired partners who come in and help out or is it just you have to really suck it up in overtime? Um, it's a combination of things. We do bring in some part-time help. We do bring in people to help us during busy season. But for the most part, the staff put in a tremendous amount of hours during this time of year. But one of the advantages lately has been with, with technology, people are able to work from different locations. So they don't necessarily have to be in the office in order to perform their jobs. Tell us about your firm. Tell us about Eisner Emperor and the services that you guys provide. So Eisner Emperor is a leading accounting and advisory firm. Um, We have 1,600 people in the organization. Um, We have offices in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Florida, California. Um, We also have international offices um, in Europe. We have offices in India as well as the Cayman Islands. And uh, on the customer side, how many customers or how many tax accounts would you serve per year? Um, me personally or the firm? The firm overall? as a whole. Oh, gosh, I don't, I don't know a lot. Many. <laughs> yeah, many, 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 many how, yes. How about, so you're a partner in this firm. I am a partner, yes. Describe a little bit, like, your, how, how, how did you get into that position? What's your career path been like? So I started um, with the firm back in 1990. And when I started with the firm, it was a much smaller firm. Um, we had about 60 people in the firm at the time. And as the firm grew, um, you know, I, I grew with the firm. 
and um, we did a couple of mergers throughout the time. And now we have, like I said, 1,600 people. But I decided I wanted to get into the tax practice, so I went on for a master's in tax. I also have a law degree. Um, my current role, though, I'm, I am running our Philadelphia office. And how much of that is management versus still the hands-on doing? Do you still see clients yourself, or are you, are you just a... F- just are you a full time manager? <laughs> so I, I do both. I um I still have I, I have a dual role. So I'm I'm managing our office in Philadelphia. We have about 180 people. So I'm responsible for all of our people. I'm responsible for growing the office. I'm responsible for the office's profitability. But I also have my own book of business that I so I do still see all of my clients. And if you think about managing an office like Philadelphia, how, how do you track if you're doing a good job? I mean, what, what are the key performance indicators that you're tracking to see if you're on track on delivering another great year? So we have a we do a budget um, at the beginning of the year, and we track our numbers to to a budget. Um, but the key metrics that we look at are our clients. Uh, we look at the client profitability um, is a key metric, and then the other big metric that we look at is uh, staff utilization. And so, staff utilization basically you have a, you're sitting on a significant amount of fixed costs. Right, and so it's it's about keeping that stuff. It's about some version of billable hours. Is that Correct. the right way of thinking yes. about it? Yeah, there's always a balance between profitability and and utilization. Um, you know, during our busy time, we have to staff up for our busy time of year, so we have to make sure that we have enough people. Um, but then in the summer, when it gets a little bit slower, we might have jobs um, that are less profitable, but it keeps our people busy throughout the year. So over the last couple of years, I think my wife and I have always filed for extensions. <laughs> if you think about, you mentioned earlier on, Paul, this trend towards this pressure on you guys because lots of things is, is kind of released at the last minute. Uh, one thing to do, of course, is to adjust to that pressure and, and to the staffing on demand that you explained. Um, do, you, do you see a trend towards more people filing extensions? Is, is, is that becoming more common or is it just for kind of slow people like me? No, I think um, particularly this year, I think there's going to be a lot of people going on extension um, with all the tax law changes. I think we're going to have a record number of extensions this year. Now, our personal financials are not super complicated, but, uh, you know, it's the day of the 1040 easy uh, are certainly over. Um, If I would take my financials with, you know, like a small firm, my my teaching here, some some European accounts and other things, if I would take my financials and bring it to the 180 partners at your firm, would I get pretty much the same advice from everyone or is there like a lot of subjective decision making? Everybody has their kind of their own style and their, their own way of kind of coming to conclusions and recommendations from me as a client. Well, I would say, you know, you would probably go to one of the tax one of the tax professionals. So I think you would get consistent advice from the from the tax professionals. Everybody has a little bit of their own style, but I think the advice that you would be getting uh, would be consistent from most of the people in our, in our tax group. So the work is, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but the work is fairly standardized in in the, in the way that there is the right way of doing this, as opposed to being more artistic craftsmen where everybody has their own way of kind of one baker bakes the croissants differently than the next <laughs> baker, right? Right. Um, well, what I, what I would tell you is that um, part of our process with our clients, I think one of the keys 
um, in being successful is that we do we do planning. So typically what we do is we reach out to all of our clients in the last quarter of the year and we'll talk to them about any events that had happened during the year and then we'll do we'll do planning because one of the, one of our biggest jobs in addition to having the technical expertise is to be able to manage people's expectations because nobody likes a big surprise on April 15th. So speaking about these surprises, so if I'd been planning a little further ahead and say, you know, December last year, I would have said, like, let's kind of dump the firm I'm with and let's kind of not go into details with whom I'm working. But uh, if I would say, like, you know, Paul, uh, work with me as, as my tax accountant or your firm at large, walk me through that process from the customer's perspective. Sure. So one of the first things that I probably would have done with you if you came as a client last year was I would have taken your your 2017 tax numbers and put them into our program and projected what it would look like in 2018 with the new tax law. So you would have at least an understanding if everything stayed the same from year to year, what impact tax reform would have on you. But like I said, I think the, the key ingredient is just the ongoing communication and the planning. So we would, we would talk to you about any significant transactions that you had during the year. Um, we would talk to you about what your goals are financially. If you had any children and you wanted to pass on wealth or you wanted to fund college, um, if you were going to be inheriting any money, um, if you had any kind of foreign transactions or capital transactions. So, you know, the tax return is the end product, but what goes into it is, as you said, the ingredients, right? And the ingredients are, to me, the, the planning um, throughout the year. So that's something I, I want to certainly get back to later on in the interview, which I, uh, it strikes me as really interesting, right? There is this clear transaction of filing the actual return, but there is an advice giving that is mm -hmm. much more, again, that is a little bit more artistic and leveraging your intuition and experience. Uh, but before we get there, Paul, uh, you mentioned this idea we, we would put it into our system. Mm -hmm. What does the system look like? So we have different programs that we use. So we have a program that we use to do income tax projections, and it allows us to do different cases, and it allows us to project out, you know, you know, 10 years forward. So we would take your, your data, your information, um, and like I said, we would start with your, your previous year and put that into our computer program, and that would be kind of our base year. And then we would run different scenarios based on that. If you had a big capital gain or if you had some other kind of transaction, we would kind of walk through and see what the taxes would be and then see if there was anything we could do before the end of the year to help you minimize those taxes. So when you refer to that system or software, is that a homegrown thing that you built over the years? Is that something that is like TurboTax for grown-ups? Is this an Excel spreadsheet that sits on Paul's desktop? How can I kind of visualize this? Um, for individuals, we use a program that is just uh, – it's a commercial program, and it's, it's put out by BNA, and that, that's the program we use for our, our projections. And it helped me think through that as a consumer benefit from that. So you could basically do some form of scenario analysis saying like, Christian, if you would give that kind of asset to your children at this point over the next 10 years, it would save you so much. You could simulate for me the future. Is Correct. That, yes. Is that uh, something give us a sense of now as you're having – you're walking with me then with, through this period of advice giving to ultimately filing the papers. 
for a typical, and I, I certainly understand there is no such thing as a typical client, but for a somewhat median in complexity client, how many hours of work is involved in there? So, like I said, the important thing is the planning. So we like to do that um, throughout the year. So, you know, it depends on it depends on the situation, but that could be as little as you know two hours, or it could be as much as as twenty hours or twenty five hours to do to do the actual planning, depending upon the situation and the transactions that the individual has in a given year. Um, to do the actual return, um, that is pretty much. Uh, a fixed a fixed cost. I mean, we could kind of figure out how many hours it would take, but on average, you know, an average return probably takes twenty hours because we do have a we have a review process. Um, you know, so it doesn't. It's not just prepared; it's also reviewed a couple of different levels of review. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host Christian Tevish, and I have the pleasure of chatting with Paul Doherty, who is a partner at Eisner Amper, and we're talking about tax preparation. And Paul has seen his share of uh, tax documents in his career. Um, Paul, what has changed over the last twenty years? I mean, if you think about, we, we talked about the system, the technology that, that lets you kind of simulate different consumer decisions on future tax burdens. What technological changes have you seen in your career? So I think to answer that, <clears throat> I would look at it from the perspective of, of three perspectives. Um, one, the IRS, one, the client, and then um, how it impacts us within our firm. <clears throat> so the IRS started, it's probably about 20 years ago um, that we've been filing returns electronically. So in the old days, you used to have a paper copy of your return. You'd mail it in. The IRS would then input those numbers into their system. Sometimes they'd make key punch errors, um, and, and you might get a notice. Um, but in, in starting in 2000, um, it shifted, and we went to electronic filing. And electronic filing, basically, we're responsible for inputting the data, and then we have to get that form, as, as you're, I'm sure you're familiar, Christian, the 8879, you have to sign and send back to your accountant. So, you know, the IRS has kind of shifted some of that key punch, um, data key punch to, to the firms now. So we're responsible. You know, it used to be I mailed the return, and I was done with it. Now I mail the return, I got to get the 8879 back. But everybody knows that now. So, you know, so that's one change with regard to the Internal Revenue Service. Um, you know, where everybody, I would say 99.9% .9 of returns are filed electronically. Um, from the client's perspective, um, what's, what's changed is that a lot of the data um, is, um, you know, it goes back and forth via email. So um, I always like to meet with my clients, but if I need additional information, they'll send me the additional information in an email. And typically before I finalize a tax return now, I email my clients a draft of the return and, and go through it with them over the phone um, so they can take a look at it before before it's final. So um, and where we're going in the future as a firm is where we're starting to develop client portals. Um, so this is our first year that we're using the client portal. So instead of sending a client a paper copy of the return, it's going to be posted to a portal where they get a secure portal where they can go and they can access their tax returns and we could put other information in there and communicate with them through through the portal. Um, so that's that's changes on, I guess, the, the client side. Um, from a firm perspective, 
We do all of our returns. Everything is paperless now. So it's interesting when you walk through an accounting office now, you're not going to find any file rooms. Um, everything is done paperlessly. Um, so and, – and the returns move through the prop through the process paperlessly. So um, we have a program, a workflow program. So somebody prepares the return. When they're done with it, they sign off on it and they move it to the reviewer. The reviewer then looks at it. He signs off on it and moves it to um, the final reviewer, the partner. So um, internally, everything moves paperlessly. Um, and, and then the other thing that I, I mentioned earlier is people now have the ability to work from home or they can work from from anywhere. Um, they don't necessarily have to be in the office to get their work done. They're able to access all of their files um, and they're able to communicate internally through instant messaging with, with each other. Um, we're able to share screens with each other if we're not at the same location. So um, technology has played a big part in the, in the changes. If I think about the, the upstream, the more consultation, the more craftsman part of the job before the actual e-filing, uh, do you have systems that help uh, your accountants or the partner to kind of ask the right questions? So things that might only apply to like a very small fraction of, 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 of consumers that you have a system. For example, we bought an electric car last year. Would there be something in your system saying like, make sure you ask the customer that question because that way there could be a deduction that the consumer might have overseen? Sure. We, ha we do have checklists that, that people can access um, and, and use when they're preparing returns. So we do have um, checklists as one source for that, but we also do all of our research now electronically. So years ago, um, we used to have big libraries with all the tax court cases and all of the statutes and the regulations and the case law and everything. Now everything is done on Uh, is done online, all of our research. So we would type in electric core and, you know, we'd get a bunch of hits on that and uh, we'd be able to do the research that way. But who prompts the partner or the accountant talking with me to ask about the electric car? That is part of the checklist? Uh, it, that is one of the questions. I, yeah. I mean, there are, we, we do have very detailed checklists. Not everybody uses them. Uh, but we do they are available for people to use the The reason why i 'm so interested in the checklist and we 've seen certainly a similar thing in, in medicine where we also have a knowledge worker who are basically highly skilled going through complex issues and again checklists turn out tremendously helpful there. But to what extent, uh, we talked earlier about the fact that if I would go to any one of your 180 partners, I would pretty much get consistent advice. If I think now about going to your competitors, God mm -hmm. forbid, um, would I get the same advice from them as well? Is In some sense, is there a competitive differentiation or is it basically, I don't want to say commoditized, but at the end of the day, if everybody gives me the same advice – then it is either a kind of a consumer experience piece that you guys are just nicer, you might be faster or you might be cheaper, but if everybody gives me the same advice in some sense, the product would be standardized. Yeah, I would say that when, when it comes to, to the planning piece of it, I think you would not get the same advice from everybody. So, you know, that depends on a number of different factors. And I think, as you said, that's more kind of the art of taxes uh, than, than the science of it. So I think... Um, what the reason I say you would get consistent advice is because we we do training for for our firm and for our people, um, and and we have something called Eisner Amper University where we do all of the training for for our staff. So a lot of the partners um, 
you know, you would get consistent answers from. But but even amongst the partners, we have discussions as issues come up and we will talk to each other and say, what do you here's the fact pattern. What do you, what do you think about this? You know, um, so I think you would get different answers if you went to different places. That gets me back to what uh, we discussed earlier on, right, with the traditional view being very much episodic where I as a customer come to you and you execute towards what I like that you mentioned is we really have to sit down well in advance to then just make smart decisions before all the decisions are made and all we can do is just document them for the IRS. So tell us a little bit like how how do you learn about your customers and what is right for them? I mean, in the extreme case, if you would be you know, part of my family or close friends, you would be with me every day of the year and you could give me much smarter advice compared to the accountant who sits somewhat later and says, like, uh, receives like, oh, Christian, you did what this year? Right. <laughs> I mean, and part of it, I think you hit the nail on the head, is just is spending time with your clients, um, talking to them, you know, periodically throughout the year, understanding if they've had any major transactions or changes in their life during the year. Um, it's really that part of it is about communication. I think, in, in uh, an ongoing dialogue with, with your client. Have you seen technology change that? I mean, assuming, and as my tax accountant, I, I certainly would have to trust you to take that role. In some sense, I, I could imagine I'm just giving you access to my bank accounts. Right? You just see, like, what am I spending money from, where the money coming in from, uh, rather than me kind of taking my perception of this I much rather could equip you with access to all of my financials. And since you are smarter and a pro, would that allow you to make better decisions for me? I don't know if looking at all your financial data would. I mean, sometimes it's it, it might be too much information. It might be too costly for us to, to do that for you. So I think we can kind of narrow down what we would want to look at um, and, and focus more. I mean, I think, you know, the time may come for that in the future, you know, with data analytics and that type of thing. But um, right now, we're, we're not we're not there. Speaking of costly, I mean, this is business radio until eventually we uh, have to talk about money. So how do you guys make money? Did you get paid by the hour by a percentage of my taxes of revenue? What is your business model? So our business model is typically we'll meet we'll meet with a client, um, we'll we'll look at their prior year tax returns, we'll look at their information, kind of get a sense as to how they're going to provide us that information, and then we work up a budget and we come up with a we come up with a figure and we would call you and say, look, based on based on everything that you've given us and what we know, we think your return is going to cost fifteen hundred dollars to do, and then. Um, if there's any additional work that needs to be done, if there's other issues that come up as we're doing your return, we would call you and let you know that there's additional time being spent. So it's somewhat like a construction company. Is that a fair comparison? In you're, terms you're of fixed, fixed, right? We, we give we give a fixed fee typically for for compliance work. Um, for consulting work, it's usually rates and hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as you get better over time, knowing my case more. You know, probably in a couple of years we might see some stability in the tax code again. So those future efficiency improvements, they would benefit you in terms of the, in the first year onboarding a new customer. You might even make lose money in that year. Is that a, do you think about it that way that you're investing 
that is more like a lifetime value of a customer. Yes, uh, that's exactly that's exactly how we how we think of it. So the first year we tend to spend more time uh, yeah. because we have to learn we have to learn the client, we have to learn how they keep their records. Um, so we do make an investment in the initial year, and then hopefully that that smooths out over time. Paul, you mentioned the role and the emerging role of data analytics and statistics and AI. Um, how is it playing out right now? We talked about the last 20 years, and mm -hmm. none of us here has a crystal ball. But if you think about the trends that are kind of emerging at the moment, and we think about the next 20 years in tax accounting, what, what do you see? I think what I see in the future, a couple of different things. Um, one is, you know, they're starting for, for individual returns. They start, there are companies out there now that have these smart scanners. So basically you scan the information and it, it will automatically populate the, the tax returns. And those scanners are getting better and better over time and they're able to read a lot more information. Where those scanners have some difficulty is if there's handwritten notes and or, or something like that where it's, it's harder to interpret. But most of the government forms, if you get W-2s or 1099s or K-1s or 1098s, they scan and they go right into the return. So I think that's one area where we're seeing a, a pickup in efficiency. Um, I do think, um, you know, another area is just kind of process automation. So we're starting to try and automate more things. So for example, if we're doing a business return, we can code the general ledger so we can import that directly into the tax return so it doesn't have to be touched by an individual. Um, so I think that's something, you know, that's, that, that's here as well. Um, and in terms of, I guess, that, that's on the compliance side. I think in terms of the planning side, um, we're going to see more cognitive type of programs like artificial intelligence. Our firm has started um, working with IBM Watson on the accounting side, and um, we've trained it to do. There was a new pronouncement that came out on revenue recognition, and we kind of went through the process with IBM to train it how to read contracts and identify issues with regard to revenue recognition. And we just started doing that on the tax side. I've been tasked with doing that on corporate tax. So that's going to be one of my projects after after busy season. So. so if you think back through your career, would you do it all over again? Is that the profession? Is that a calling? Or would you say like, well, I really should have started a company like TurboTax and <laughs> be, become a technology person? Paul? I, I would do it all over again. I, I love my job. I love, I love what I do. So I, I would definitely do it all over again. What a great ending. There's Paul Doherty, a partner at Eisner Amper. So, thank you so much, Paul. We need to take a short break right now. When we come back, I will welcome my second guest for today, who is going to be Varun Krishna, Vice President at Intuit, the maker of TurboTax. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow. I'm Christian Tervish, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School here on Sirius XM. We'll be right back. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 